Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Our scripture today is from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 17 through 27 and 32. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is God's word. Today, we are beginning our Advent sermon series. Yes, I know Advent began last week, um, but it's never too late to begin your series because what is Advent? Some of you did not grow up in a liturgical church. Maybe you didn't grow up at church at all. Advent is the traditional time that the church prepares for in eager expectation for the celebration of Christmas. Advent leads into Christmas. The term itself is an an adaptation uh, from the Latin that means coming or, or arrival. And so the question you need to ask yourself is, well, the text that's before us How does that actually talk about Advent? Because this is not one of the traditional Advent sermon uh, texts that people go to. And let me tell you how. This account talks about how Jesus was not recognized by his own friends. Jesus uh, was not seen. Look at verse 16, right? The, the, The disciples didn't recognize him. And by the way, they weren't the only ones. Mary at the tomb didn't recognize him. The disciples in the boat, I think in John chapter 21, they didn't recognize him. His friends constantly missed him. And so the, if no one who, when they see him, really sees him, that's kind of a question for us. It's strange. Some scholars have actually pointed this out, that in resurrection accounts during the ancient Near East, usually the writer is trying to show that the person risen from the dead is, is recognized, they're seen, They're validated. So if you're making up a resurrection account, why would you 
say and record that all his closest friends didn't actually recognize him. A lot of people actually point out that this probably means that this account actually really is an eyewitness account because they wouldn't have written it this way if they were faking it. And so if Advent means Jesus' arrival at the beginning, at the, you know, the, the coming of Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, well, why is it that they didn't see him? I think they didn't see him because their expectations of who Jesus was and is were not being met. And if Jesus' closest friends missed who he was, we have to ask ourselves, what's preventing us right now from missing who Jesus really is? Right? We need to be careful not to see Jesus, but not actually really see Jesus. To see him, but, but, but not get him. And so what I want to do for our sermon series for Advent, what I'd like to do is, the goal is to see him as he is revealed. To see him as he is. And so then these next group of, of sermons leading up to Christmas are going to be passages that I think reveal to us who he really is. To see Jesus and receive him. So just two points today. The Jesus who doesn't fit our expectations and then the Jesus beyond our expectations. The Jesus who doesn't fit and the Jesus who's beyond our expectations. So first, the Jesus who doesn't fit our expectations. Pull up um, the passage on your, on your phones. Look at the text. Cleopas and another disciple, they're walking along, they're discussing what had happened. And it's actually, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, maybe I'm, I'm in a humorous mood, but this week, I think it's kind of comical about how Jesus shows up. He kind of walks up and he goes, what you guys doing? What, what's happening? What's the scuttlebutt? You know, it's very interesting. He says, what's going on? And then in verse 17, it says, immediately their faces were downcast. They were crestfallen. They were sad. And I think in a pretty ironic twist, and, and I mean, the, the, the whole passage is, I think, filled with irony. Cleopas goes, come on, are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on? And of course, the irony is he's the only one who does know what's going on. And what happens is, is that there's this sort of, there's this missing Jesus all along. And I think the location, by the way, where this actually happens matters too. This is the road to Emmaus. Emmaus, I looked this up, is about seven miles outside Jerusalem. That's not a walk in the park. For Jesus, it says Jesus, uh, you know, came up and walked along beside them. He must have pursued them. He must have left to try to run and catch up to them. This is another sign of Jesus pursuing his friends, pursuing other individuals to walk up alongside them. So this is a, 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 an act of love, to walk through the disillusionment, to walk through the doubts that they had. And I think what Jesus does here is he kind of lets them process. He asks multiple questions. What's going on? Tell me more. Right? And in verse 19, what we get here is, some people call this the gospel according to Cleopas. What we get is, is Cleopas' account of what happened. So let me try to list the, what I see in the text. Here they go. He says, there was a man named Jesus. This is Cleopas talking. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. He was killed. We lost all hope for redemption of Israel. But weirdly, his tomb is empty. Right? That's the evidence that he presents. Which I, you know, Think about that again. He knows from his perception of reality. He, here's, what, here's what he's gathered. Jesus had a ministry of word and deed. I'll say it again. He was killed, yet we had hope 
that he would be for the redemption and restoration. His body's missing. It's no longer here. In other words, here's so great. He has all the pieces. He just couldn't put them together. He, he didn't know how they fit. He couldn't actually see Jesus as he was. Why? And I've been racking my brain, what was he missing? And I think there's two facets of who Jesus was that he couldn't put together. One, he couldn't see Jesus's, Jesus was actually more divine than he thought. And at the same time, he was actually more human than he thought. So let's go through that. He's more divine and actually more human at the same time. First, more divine. Go look, look, look down in verse 19. Kalebus says he's a prophet. You're a great prophet in word and deed. But the book of Luke, the entire book, the the other Gospels are showing that Jesus is more than a prophet, right? What does a prophet do? Come and proclaim in the name of God like Moses and the the prophets of old. But then you you look at Jesus and what do you see for him? You see people trying to worship him like the, the blind who was healed. You see water into wine. You see demons running away from him. You see the dead raised up. That's not your run-of-the-mill t- teacher. That's not your average rabbi. Right? You, you have um, Luke, who reports that John the Baptist, who is a prophet of old, right? And this is, he starts quoting Isaiah 40. Prepare the way for the Lord, is what John the Baptist says. And the word Lord there is the personal pronoun for, G- for God, uh, the word Yahweh in Hebrew, which is never spoken in any kind of uh, individual way. And then the, he says, that's Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He's going, no, 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 no. He says, yep, yep, that's me. See, that that's, doesn't let us put Jesus in a box of a nice sort of teacher of love. I think a lot of folks would like to have Jesus as just a great teacher or a prophet of love. And that's confounded over and over again with the claims and actions that he does. Which means you have to either reject that full picture of Jesus or accept it. Right? You can't say Jesus is just another founding you know, uh, individual of, of a religion. He can't be just a teacher and a sage. It doesn't work because Jesus himself doesn't claim only that. N.T. Wright put it better than I could. He says this. He says, how can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human? That fire has become flesh? That life itself became life and walked in our midst. Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It's either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world or it's a sham, it's nonsense. Most of us condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. And when I hear that, I go, oh. Right, because most of us, we, we live in that in-between world where, okay, he says these things, but some of the things over here I don't really quite get, and, and we, we kind of try to hold them together. But Jesus is claiming deity, and the people around him couldn't compute that, right? Cleopas and all that people group was looking for a militant or a, a, a political figure to free Israel, physically, not spiritually. It, he completely missed the, the deity of Jesus because he wasn't looking for it. And I think for us, I think there's some of us that actually are in the same boat. That we don't want to reject Jesus as wicked or insane, but the, and the only other option is he is who he says he is. I think C.S. Lewis put it better than anybody. He kind of 
gave us what our options are, right? He said, Lord, lunatic, or liar. Those are your, those are your options. And I think some people have put a fourth one in legend. The problem with legend is that scholarship shows that these documents were written too early. There's too many references to live people. They don't look like, they don't, they're not written like legends. So then you have Lord, lunatic, liar. All right, lunatic. The problem with that is John Watson wrote this. He said, no one has yet discovered the word Jesus ought to have said. It's hard to go through the text and say, well, what, what should he have said it here? It's, he almost says it always right, which that doesn't sound like a lunatic. And then liar, very few people die for a lie. And if the Israelites, sorry, if the disciples were in on the lie, you, you tend not to die for somebody else's lie either. But die they did. And so if he is who he says he is, the divine in the flesh, the question I want to ask us, and I want to ask myself this, is then why don't we center our life on that every single day? Why is Jesus, why is he in the periphery? Why do we concern ourselves with Jesus on Sundays, but our every other waking moment, it's not affecting how we live, how we act, how we move. See, Christians claim they believe in Jesus, but then why don't our lives reflect that? Christmas claims that Jesus entered into the world. And the question is, what does that mean to you? How will that actually move you? Either, other, other, either utterly reject or utterly build your life on him. So I think Cleopas misses Jesus' divinity, but he's more divine than he thought. But at the same time, he's actually more human as well. And you go, what do I mean by that? He's more ordinary. He's more normal. I think people didn't recognize Jesus because he looked like anybody else. I think a lot of folks probably thought if you're raised from the dead, you're going to look pretty different than how you were before. But he didn't, right? I think, that's, I think that's actually one of the problems I think a lot of us have is that when we're looking for Jesus, we're looking for something amazing. I want to see Jesus with lasers. I want to see Jesus with fireworks. I want, when he comes into my life, I want to see some pizzazz or something going on. And yet Jesus, when he shows up, he shows up in ordinary ways. It's through prayer and your quiet yearnings. It's through people who are messed up but are reflections of who God is. It's through church that is imperfect and broken and we don't have it all put together, but we're here. It's through the Bible and our imperfect readings and working through a document that's much older than us. Those those things are just ordinary. And yet that's how Jesus presents himself. That's where he wants us to meet him. And I think that's often why... So many of us, I, I talk with you all, uh, uh, you know, folks are like, I don't feel him, I don't see him, I don't know where he is, and maybe he's right there with you. You just don't want to see him in the way he's revealing himself. In the ordinary, basic, mundane ways of doing life. He's in a, he's in a book that's on your desk. He's in a, a, an ability to close your eyes and be present with him. He's in a Sunday worship service where you go more into who you are and more into who he is. That's normal. That's not lasers. That's not a light show. But here he is. That's why, Moses, that's why Mary thought that he was a gardener. That's why these guys thought he was a traveler. And I think it might be why we don't realize 
who we really have in him. And we miss Jesus. So, I mean, let me put it a different way. Uh, not in this church, but if you go to some other churches in this country, sometimes you'll see pictures of Jesus on the wall. And the depiction you almost always see, it's like Jesus with long flowing hair. He's got great skin. It's almost perfect. You never see a mole. Have you noticed that? Sometimes the eyes are blue, but it's always like, it's always vivid eyes. That's the sentimental Jesus. That's the airbrushed Jesus. That's not the normal, probably four foot, whatever size that he really was. I mean, it's, the sentimental Jesus gets in the way from us being able to meet him for who he is. I think that's why Jesus rebukes Cleopas. Look in verse 26, he says, the Messiah had to suffer. Didn't you know the Messiah had to suffer? And he's like, no, I never had a concept of that. A killable Messiah, a defeatable Messiah. Jesus, compared to all the other leaders of the world, he had no army. He hung out with the poor. He went on long walks with his friends for seven miles. What kind of leader of the world does that? A very human, ordinary one. Will you find him in his humanness? Will you sit in the mundane and sit with him? Because he's willing to do that with you. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Now, before we move on, let me try to show you. Some of you are saying, so what? Let me show you why this matters. If Jesus is both more divine and more human at the same time, this matters because if you zoom out over the entire book of the Bible, the Bible says glory only comes through suffering, right? The Bible says strength comes through weakness. That the way up is the way down. That the way to truly be happy is to care for and try to bring happiness in other people. That the way to be truly rich is to give up your riches. That the way to have life is through death. See, the Bible over and over and over again, the gospel combines things that the world does not know how to have them together. These are incompatible extremes, and the Bible keeps them together. The fact that Jesus is both divine and human, when it doesn't seem like it can go together, but it, because it does, that's why through weakness there's strength. Through, life, there, through death there's life. Right? And these people couldn't see it because they didn't think that those things could go together. But if you did, if you allow those things to stay together in your life, and you're a follower of him, not just the divine version of Jesus, not just the human version of Jesus, This is what would happen to you now. Now you can get life through death. Now giving things up is a way to actually have. Now, if you don't have a lot, but you give away, you're going to have everything. Because the gospel doesn't fit the world's expectation. It's both too happy for the pessimist, and it's too sad for the optimist. 
at the same time. It's so cool. If, right now, if you have a really low view of humans, oh, I can't believe how they're acting. They're the worst. The Bible's too happy for you. It says, no, humans are made in God's image. They are of infinite value and beauty and worth. If right now, though, that you... Sorry. If right now, though, you have too low a view of humans... Sorry, if you have too high a view of humans, then... You go, humans are the best. You read the Bible, and the Bible says, no, they're broken, they're in need. It, it busts our categories. You will only truly see Jesus if you hold on to his humanness and his divinity together. But if you do, these same incompatible extremes can exist in you. And so the last thing I want to do is work through how. You say, well, how is that possible? Last point. Jesus beyond our expectations. Jesus says the problem with these disciples and the problem with us is we're not actually able to see him for who he is. That's verse 26 again. That they weren't prepared for a suffering Messiah. It's in the text. It's in the Bible. Isaiah 53 Right? The suffering servant. You have the man of sorrows, the one who's going to be rejected and despised. It's possible the Messiah was that, but we couldn't connect the dots. Not till after the fact. Only after the fact did we see, oh, he had to be divine because only a divine death could pay for the sins of the world in a way that would actually meet the penalty. But at the same time, he had to be human because he had to substitute himself. He actually had to place himself where we deserve to be. And so the question is, is how do you make that real in your life? And I think the answer is that last verse in our text. Verse 32. It says, Jesus opened up Scripture. And the whole Bible points to who Jesus is. And now a lot of you go, so what? This matters, and this is what I've been reflecting on all week long. If Jesus wanted to reveal himself to you, you want to know what he would do? He wouldn't introduce himself. He wouldn't say, hi, how are you doing? He would open up scripture. And I think that's what he did for his friends. You know what he did? He probably turned to Exodus and say, hey, let me show you something. See how it says here that you can only enter into relationship with God through the acknowledgement of a, a costliness of some sort of payment? The whole sacrificial system points to that. Maybe you would have flipped to, Ex, uh, to Leviticus and showed how that there only the sins could be paid for by the offering of the lamb. You go to the next book, maybe, right? You go to Numbers. And there in Numbers, you have the, the bronze serpent. And only by looking up to it, high and lifted up, would you be saved. Maybe then he would keep going and find the, that atonement is only made by the high priest for the sins of the people. All of that is Jesus. Jesus is the lamb. That was slain for our sins. Jesus was lifted high and lifted up for us to take the curse for us. Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus atones for our sins. Right? Jesus is the better David, right? He's the true king. He's the better Noah who builds the boat for our redemption and lives by faith. He's the better Abraham who is able to provide for his people and then get reconciled to his brothers. He's the better Moses who leads his people through to the promised land. He's the better Aaron who prays and intercedes for his people. He's the better Ruth, the better redemption of Ruth by Boaz, the better Esther who intercedes for his people, the better Samson who 
dies for his people. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. Jesus must have pointed to every single facet of redemptive history and showed how they all not only point to him, but have their end in him. And then what happened? It says, only then the disciples say, their hearts burned within them. And this is important. They didn't burn when they met Jesus. They didn't burn when they talked with Jesus. They didn't burn when they walked with Jesus. They burned when the scriptures were opened to them. And I, I'm, I'm still grappling with this. Because I think a lot of us, including myself, we think, man, my life would be different. I could just go for a walk with Jesus. If I could just hang out with him, maybe he shows me a couple things. But guess what? These people did go for a walk with Jesus. And look what Jesus didn't do. He didn't go, hey guys, how's it going? Wonder upon wonder is that Jesus himself, when he wanted to reveal himself, didn't use himself. He used scripture, which means we have everything right now that we need to know who he is and to have our hearts aflamed and to have our hearts moved. Verse 27 says, Jesus showed these people the truth, was beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of Scripture concerning himself. In other words, Jesus is showing us the single best way to know who he is, to have a relationship with him, to have our hearts burn it within us. It wasn't time with him physically. It was to have the Scriptures open to him, to, to, to us. So I'm going to try to put that differently. How do you know that you, during this Advent season, actually know the real Jesus and not a made-up Jesus? How do you know that Jesus is real to you and not just one of your expectations, a figment of your imagination? And the answer is you have to go to Scripture because in every single passage you're getting a different facet, a different glance, a, a different angle at his nature. So if you don't want to make it made up Jesus, a, uh, you know, a Jesus who can't help you, you have to go there. And I'll tell you something. We're still new. We're still wet cement at Redeemer Lincoln Square, a couple years old. Our job here, what we're committed to, is to help you find who that real Jesus is. To walk through scripture with you. To, to be that type of church. And so I would like you to ask, before we leave here, ask yourself, do you let scripture bring yourself closer to him? Do you go into it asking and looking and seeking? See, what I worry about is most of us, what, you know what we want? We want change and we want an experience. And some of us are asking for justice and we're asking for inspiration and we're asking for so much. And Jesus will tell you, if you want that, don't first go to those things. Go to scripture first and then you'll get justice and then you'll get change and then you'll get experience. So let, me, let me try to, just really get this into the granular with a couple practical applications to, to leave you with. First is this. It says Jesus was one who was powerful in word and deed. First practical application. If you're his disciple, you will be powerful in word and deed too. How's that possible? Not just to say, I'm going to go. No. Go into scripture and as you live and breathe it, what you will find is our Lord loves the lost and the poor. He most associates with them. And those words on your lips will lead to action. So ask yourself, do I spend time with the needy? Have, what, would, what have I done for the homeless recently? What have I, where, where has my heart been moved to work with the poor and care about the problems of our world? 
And if you say, oh, Michael, you're just guilt-tripping me. No, that's scripture. See our Lord's love for them and make that your love too. That's not guilt, that's grace. That's what, what you would find there. That's, that's a practical application. Ironically, sitting and just letting it be when the scripture will move you out. First one. Secondly, notice how Cleopas was so disheartened. How he was so despondent. You want to know why? He was reading his life through the lens of the world. He was reading his life through the lens of current events, through his circumstances, through his problems, through his pandemics, through his issues. And he was at sea. He was up and down. He was left and right. He was like what I am day in and day out. But folks, if we really understood scripture, if he understood the revealed scriptures now to him, he would never lose hope because he would know the future was assured. He would know that we'd never have to give up because of the truth of what we know is coming, the coming kingdom. That means we would never overwork, would we? Because why? We're not ultimately going to be the ones to bring redemption. And yet we would not underwork because he uses us for redemption and restoration. That means it would be okay for you to be sad. It would be okay for you to be hurt. It would be okay for you to be struggling. Why? That's in Psalms, by the way. You can go to Scripture there. But you would never be despondent. You would never be forgetting. You're only despondent when you forget the Scriptures. Forgetting our, our real hopes. Forgetting where the love of God is for us spelled out in history through the plan of redemption. The Scriptures give us an assurance now because of the, the hope that's in the future. Last application. Have you experienced the fire of the Holy Spirit in your life? It can burn within you if you let it. You can be warmed by it in your heart. That's what verse 32 is saying. If we open our Bibles, I think a lot of us don't because we're like, we don't think that's actually where the fire is. We don't think that's where the heart is. But what it's saying is that if you do, you will have joy. When you meet Jesus and receive Jesus, you get joy. Because the Bible is filled where, with the bad stuff too. That you're running from him. That you don't want him. That you've filled your life with idols and needs and concerns and other things. Your head probably is thinking about all these other things that you need to deal with today. Because you think that's more important than sitting with him right now. But if you did, and you saw how Jesus turns the tables on evil, that he saved us not because we were good, but because he was good. As you sit in that, your heart begins to burn. This is what Acts 2 says, right? The church started opening up scripture, started reading it, and there was gladness in their hearts, it says. The joy is here in scripture. Don't run from it. Don't suppress it. Don't say, God, I need you to please reveal this joy to me. It already has been revealed to you. It's right here in our Bibles. He gave you that. Will you go to it? Weep may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I, I just, I'll be honest with you all. I regularly forget that joy. I look around my world. I look at my own life. I get despondent. But when I open up scripture, when I let myself sit in it, and I see what, where it's pointing, where it's going, what it wants to show me, the joy's back. Let that joy, for you, it might, maybe you've never come to that joy before. Come to it now. Maybe you had it and now it's gone. Reignite it in Scripture, in this Advent season. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, one of the wonders upon wonders is we're looking for something special and off the charts, a laser show, and you have buried in a book that's, at this point, thousands of years old and more, divine truths that reveal our nature, our need, but our hope. It is mundane. My, some of us say it's even boring because we don't get to see what is really there. I pray if we don't know where to start, Father, that we would gather with friends and ask the good, good questions. I pray that we would be a people of the book. Not because, Father, we have all the right answers. Not because we even are interpreting it the right way. Those are valid concerns. I pray the closer we get to it, the closer, the more humble we would get that we don't fully know, we don't fully understand, but we have you. And we're not saved with more knowledge, we're saved by your life and work. Let that move into our hearts in new and profound ways. If we're cast about on the sea of despair and the ups and downs, not knowing what's going to be next, which we feel very, very much right now, Father, help us to be rooted in your text, in the love that you've revealed already that transcends all of history. We praise things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.